Welcome to Erotic Awakening, an exploration of all things erotic. Every Thursday, your hosts, Dan and Dawn, share with you their experience and insights on kink, power exchange, and erotic life, as well as bring you interviews with exciting people from various lifestyles. Then every Monday, you'll hear from our various guest hosts. These nationally known educators bring a variety of experience to the mics and share with you an ever-increasing diverse world of alternative life. Erotic Awakening is intended for mature audiences. If you are offended by adult topics or prohibited by law, we recommend you stop listening right now. Hello, fellow adventurers of sexuality and spirit, and welcome to Erotic Awakening with Lee Harrington. In this monthly show appearing on the third Monday of the month, give or take, uh, there's all kinds of opportunities for conversation around sensuality, connection, kink, desire, sex, and all places in between. If you want to listen to our back podcasts, feel free to go over to passionandsoul.com. We can find those podcasts as well as my writings, readings, and all kinds of other things as well. This month, I have the pleasure of welcoming to the podcast another podcaster who's been spreading information and stories about the world of kink since 2009. So I wanted to welcome you, Axe, to Erotic Awakening. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's such a delight to kind of return the favor since you grilled me not too long ago. It, it, I, I am a, known as a hard-hitting news and interview uh, guru, so <laughs> I, I almost always lo- uh, leave the interviewee in tears. Uh, as you know, you were very strong. You you held up. Uh, you know, I was very impressed. I was very impressed that you held up as well as did. I could be a professional interrogator. So what I'm hearing is that you're an ordeal master and spiritual guru of the airwaves. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I said it. I thought it was. I was just joke bragging and you now make it sound like I'm egotistical so okay maybe maybe no well it's I was I remember talking to uh, Midori many years ago and uh, people were like oh you're claiming the label fetish diva is that some sort of thing that you're claiming as a professional dominatrix and she's like um that's what Fakir Musafar called me and I thought it was kind of neat so um I'm running with it. So Diva isn't like a, it's not like she's saying queen, right? <laughs> well, wait, but then you've got Queen Cougar, who's a fantastic and amazing sexuality I'm and spirituality not educator. not familiar with Queen Cougar, but I'm sure wonderful person. Beautiful African-American woman who just has, wears leopard print and shows up into her classes and puts down this whole altar cloth and lights candles and incense and then just says, we're here to talk. Some serious talk. No bullshit here. We're going to talk about the real deal. And I'm just has see this, this presence. I'm oh my gosh, she's this. amazing. Sounds great. Absolutely amazing. But I wanted to make sure that we had a chance to connect today because I know on uh, on the Massacast you've talked in the past about male submission and about some of your own journey there. And I think if you're open to it, bringing into the conversation of connection, kink, how those things all interlay would be a, a conversation if you're game. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't, I'm very, I'm just now kind of more reflecting. Mm. And I mean, like, in the, not just in the last five minutes, but in the last <laughs> couple of years, especially. Uh, I never really thought that much about the spirituality mm-hmm. side of things. It was always sex. Right. It was just the pleasure aspect of it and, or, or the pain aspect of it or whatever. 
um, I didn't really have enough experience and then it was really hard for me to find someone to play with. So it was a matter of take whatever I can get and not analyze it, mm. right? Um, so it's only now that I've been with someone for several years in a serious relationship that I've been able to think, oh, wow, I can look at the more deeper aspects of this, right? Yeah, you're certainly not alone there because I know a lot of people who get involved because it gets their bits hard sure. or wet or whatever, and that's fantastic. <laughs> well, I think that's what, it's true with anything. Movies, you know, you, you mm. go to you go to a movie because you really like it. Maybe you see it the second time, you can dive a little bit more deeper into it, or or a book, or fill in the blank. Right? You you start it for maybe a different reason, but then once you take a closer look at it, there's a lot lying underneath there. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I guess I guess I've been thinking more about it in the last few years, especially. So, um, is there anything particular you'd like? You'd... Well, one of the things we talked about before we got started that I'm just like, as soon as you said it, I'm like, oh yeah, let's bring that on and see what we can find. Is the idea of love and submission, the idea of love and power exchange, love and dominance, and how those things all interrelate with each other. And so when you brought that up, I'm just like, okay, okay, let's see where that goes. I remember hear, hearing someone. This was years ago, saying um, uh, once she was a dominant woman, she was saying that once she starts having feelings for a submissive, she ends the DS aspect. Maybe they'll be boyfriend and girlfriend or like that, but she just she could not be dominant to someone that she's also in love with hmm. in in a romantic way, you know. Um, because I can understand how you can love someone in a DS relationship and not be romantic, right? right. But um, I was very nervous about that. I was worried. I thought, well, am I going to have to choose? I always thought I was going to have to choose between a romantic relationship and a romantic partner and maybe someone to have you know, kids with or what you might say, you know, a marriage or, or whatever. Um, DS relationship. I thought it was, you know, I, was, I was really worried about that. Like, what if more people felt that way? Um, and she had some valid points because I've heard other people say this as well, that once you start having a romantic interest with the person... Your, your judgment gets clouded. You know, you're not thinking, you're seeing this person in a different light than just a slave or just a dominant mm. or whatever. Um, but I found that it, it does change things a little bit, but not for the worse. It just, they're just different, you know. Um, with my partner, Saad, it, it's a matter of, we have all these different facets to our relationship now. Mm. Whereas before, when we first started, it was, when we first started, it was sort of friends and also they it got more serious, it became DS, and we were also friends. And then it got more serious on, on, on that, and it was friends, DS, sexual partners, romantic interest, you know, people who dated each other. And so not one of those things turned off. It just changed, the, not really changed the dynamic. It just, it just added an extra dimension to it, I guess mm. you could say. Uh, but I was really nervous. I remember when, when we kind of both acknowledged that we were starting to have feelings for each other. I thought, oh my God, does this mean, does this mean the play is going to stop? Or does this mean, you know, what does this mean? Um, but I found that it's just, it's just that more, uh, my, I guess you'd say dedication to her is just that much deeper. And when we play, it takes on a whole nother level. Um, you know, when she says she owns me, it's more than just her saying it. It's because I know she has actions that back that up. Mm -hmm. We moved in together. We got engaged. You know, these different things that back it up as well. So when she says she owns me, she means, you know, there's there are other aspects that, that kind of back it up that I found really kind of deepened the play as well. 
Well, out of curiosity then, would you say as you went through these different layers of evolution in the relationship that uh, the flavor of the connection changed as well? Was it a change just in behavior or was there a change in like how the two of you looked at each other or how like there was a physical experience that was different? I think I think there was because at first it was just lust, Hmm. you know, Uh, when we would look at each other, it was just pure carnal lust. And now there's pure carnal lust and all these other things. She's (laughs) she's not just my dominant. She's also someone who I love watching the West Wing with. Mm. She's also the person who... You know, we love discussing politics. I mean, there's all these different aspects. So the meaning behind a glance takes on a whole other aspect. I mean, before, I had the spirituality I'd experienced in DS play was, you know, I had friends that I would I would have, you know, long-term but, but non-sexual, just pure MS relationships, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and those were great because I learned many things about myself I learned oh I I, I am service oriented I mm. am you know there are all these different aspects of myself that I hadn't learned before but I would show up at their place and the it's like okay the DS switch is on now I would leave and the DS switch was off okay right or sometimes we'd be hanging out just as friends you know uh, but it was very much it wasn't a constant thing in my life whereas I mean, the respect that we had with each other, that was always constant, mm-hmm. obviously. But as far as my day-to-day life, it would be like once a week or every other week that I would experience that. Whereas now, it's a constant thing, right? Um, and that's really been really been amazing just to, to experience it. One of the things you said that I thought was really interesting was mm-hmm. that in exploring your master-slave encounters with people, you realize that you had a, an orientation towards service. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious what, how you realized that. Like, what, do, you, do you have memory you know, of what that transformation was? Yeah, well, I had stumbled upon an ad. Uh, it was an ad that a couple, a husband and wife, posted. And they said they were looking for service-oriented slaves. And I had thought, well, I'm not... It was very confusing to me because what what the, what they described in their ad was very appealing, mm-hmm. but at the same time I was like, "Well, I'm not bi, <laughs> you know, but she's really attractive, but I'm not bi." And so I, we kind of started email chat because I, I thought, "Well, maybe they know someone, maybe they know a dominant woman or something like that." We started up an email conversation, and the more I learned, the more I realized, "Oh, this is not sexual. It's not. It's not like that. At least mm-hmm. that that's not what they're looking for." So I thought, well, here's a way, a very simple, clean, very just, it's just MS mm-hmm. way for me to, so I wouldn't be confused. In the past, I'd been confused by sex or I'd been, you know, there were, I'd been driven by the urge to orgasm or there were some other drives behind what I was doing. Um, so it wasn't pure, I guess you'd say, it wasn't just, it wasn't just the, my slave side that was getting itched, right? Right. There were other things that were driving me. So I thought, well, this is a unique opportunity. I'll be able to um, experience it not from a sexual aspect and see if I'm really, do I identify as a slave? Am I just a bottom? Not that there's anything wrong with either, but I wanted to know. I'd been calling myself a slave, and I remember in my mind thinking, what what if I were to get in a relationship with someone and she wants this heavy DS, and I turn it, it's not for me. This will be a way for me to experiment with it in a very safe environment. Uh, and 
I found out because you know I would I would go over to their place and we'd do DS oriented things, non sexual, and and I found that it really it really spoke to me. It was mm-hmm. you know it was a way for me to shut off all these other parts of my brain that are always working, whether it's problems in my life or whatever, uh, or just you know being upset by whatever then President Bush was doing or whatever, right? I could shut these parts and I was just there as, mm-hmm. to do one thing. And um, and it also helped my confidence level as well, uh, just knowing that I had this experience behind me, you know. Um, so, and I think realizing that I was, I'm a, I was a little upset when I found out that this was part of me, you know. Mm. How so? Because I, I thought, well, if, if, if I'm just kinky in the bedroom, then... That'd be, it's a lot easier to find someone who's just kinky in the bedroom, you know, as opposed to finding someone who's kinky in the bedroom and someone who wants DS outside of it. Because once I found this out about myself, I would tell someone, I would go on a date with a dominant woman or a switch woman, and I'd say, well, I'm looking for something, some sort of power exchange outside of the bedroom as well, you know. And that people can wrap their heads around hardcore kink in the bedroom a lot easier than they can wrap their heads around someone you know going to get water or you know cleaning or whatever it's a lot easier to wrap your head around that because it's sex right it's a lot harder for some people to have the idea of someone serving them in a non-sexual way you know mm. uh and i thought oh crap now i got this to deal with you know uh so i thought well there goes my you know the, I, my, my options just dwindled you know uh but thankfully you know i ended up meeting sod and it worked out so yeah, yeah. One of the things that you you just brought up that I thought really piqued my interest was that uh, when you were in those encounters, you were really present to them. Like while you were there, it, you weren't worrying about the politics in the outside world. Yeah. All you were was right there in that moment. Right. And in some of the reading I've been doing recently on Buddhist practice, like that's some of what the the different folks are talking about is that idea of leave the outside world behind. You are here in this moment. If all you were doing is looking back at the past, that is where depression comes from. If all you do is look at the future, that's where anxiety comes from. Like being here in that moment. And I'm curious, did that carry over over to, you know, the rest of your life at all? Or was it, you know, mostly an evolution? (laughs) I wish. I wish. Because uh, I, I... I am very good at drumming up regret mm. from past decisions. I'm very good at being anxious about the future, whether it's the smallest thing, like, oh, geez, I just wish Apple would come up with a new iPhone so I can get it, to, because right. this other one is about to die, and I <laughs> want to buy it now, or what if I bought it now and I come up with a new one, to, to holy crap, what happened, if I lost my job, I'd be out in the street. You know, I mean, so it was, it was so nice to be able to shut that part of my brain off, you know, and that... Even in my past sexual encounters, that's always been one of the hardest things to do is just shut my brain off, you know, whether it's uh, fill in the blank. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's not that I was thinking of, you know, the nightly news while I was having sex or something like that, but it was, and I've had another friend who had this exact same experience. It was hard not, it was was hard to actually get lost in the moment. Mm. Um, Whether I was like, oh God, I hope I'm doing this okay. I hope she's, you know. Hope she's enjoying this. Should I do this now, rather than just get you know, going with the flow? Yeah. Um, so it was really nice. It really helped me kind of just switch my brain off, or that part of my brain off, I guess you could say. Uh, and it's when I say it's non-sexual, I mean it's still part of. I still consider the DS side of me. It's still a sexual part, 
I don't know why I consider that a sexual part, even though there's no erection involved. There's no, you know, I don't know if my pupils get dilated or not or whatever, but um, I still think consider it a sexual sexual thing because there are, I don't know, sexual connotations to Mm. it, I guess. Um, I think especially like I've only come out to a few, like two or three of my vanilla friends and that's probably the hardest thing to explain to them. It's it's easy for them to understand the kink stuff, mm-hmm. but it's much harder to explain the DS aspect of it. I don't know why that is, but I find that very funny. Huh, I wonder if it might be a cultural thing, because I've talked with folks about female submission, and they're like, oh, so it's like a 1950s housewife right. thing. Like, there's a framework there. Maybe, maybe. I, I think because people can justify... Well, he's doing this because he wants... This is what gets him off with an orgasm, mm-hmm. right? I remember we were talking to one friend of mine, and she said, so are you hard when you're scrubbing the... You know, when you're scrubbing the... <laughs> or something like that? I'm like, no, no, not at all, you know? Uh, she was like, I don't... I just don't get it. She was like, I just don't get it. And she's like, but you hate cleaning. I'm like, yes, I, I don't like clean, but I do like doing things for, for people, you know? Mm. Uh, it was really hard for her to, to grasp that, but... Um, it's even even me uh, describing it. It's hard, you know, to, to describe it because I, I don't even fully understand it myself. Which is, you know, what I've been trying to think about a little bit more lately. So, yeah, I have a friend of mine in the Northwest who his perspective on on the idea of service as um, not necessarily like a calling per se because he's incredibly pragmatic, um, but is is this feeling that there's a place for him? Like he has this like he's able to say okay. I am able to fill a useful niche in the universe <laughs> that right now by being my wife's service person, I can help her do more of the cool stuff she does in reality. Yeah. And like, I actually have like a, a, like a place he fits in, Yeah, which I thought was really interesting to hear. Yeah. And I think, I think the, the, the best I could, I, I've ever been able to describe it to, I've got one male friend that I've come out to one, I finish to say vanilla one of my old, old friends that I have had for a while who I kind of hinted at and explained it, uh, of what I enjoy about DS. And I said to him, um, you know that feeling when uh, your partner, she comes up to you and she gives you like, a, there's a jar of pickles or something like that, and she can't open it, and you open it, and you feel like you really, uh, you feel like you just built the Great Wall of China or something. <laughs> you, felt like you feel like you've really accomplished something. You know, you've done something that only you could do or, you know, something that you've done something just for her that she couldn't do for herself. Or It's kind of like that feeling uh, that, you know, when that happens, when, when you do something for someone. Not that they couldn't do it themselves, but, you know, it's allowing them to do whatever it is, paint or do something that they enjoy in lieu of it. So hmm. that's the closest I've been able to. Jar of pickles. Jar of pickles. That's the closest I've been able to. I like it. Yeah. I found when I've described it to guys, my guy friends, it's easier for them to comprehend that than, I should say, my straight guy friends. Mm. My gay guy friends, they, they get it. I don't know, maybe because they're more exposed or open, I have no idea. Um, my female friends, they seem to grasp it a little bit better, but most of my, they claim to be straight, vanilla guy friends they don't get DS at all. It's really hard for them to, to grasp it. Whereas my female friends, almost all of them will at least can at least bring down the logic of, of course I want someone to clean my tub for me. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I want that? You know, 
it's an excuse to get out of work. They might not get turned on by it, right? But, but yeah, that's that's been probably the. Whenever I have to explain it to someone who's vanilla, that's probably the, the no, thing I've noticed most of all. Yeah, you said that, and I flash back to Rosie O'Donnell in uh, Exit to Eden when they did mm. the movie production of it, where. And the guy says, what do you want? And she's like, you know what I want? I want somebody to show up and paint my house. Right, right, right. And it's for me when I've explored, and I'm curious what your take on this is, when I've explored power exchange, there's this fantasy element sometimes of uh, exactly what your partner is going to want. And my partner is going to want me to wear ballet boots while I dust the shelves with my ass and a feather duster up there. And... there's these stories that sometimes happen in, I think you said it before, when driven to the urge for orgasm. Right. As compared to what our partners sometimes might actually yeah. want. And I'm curious where the dichotomy might have, or the, the the difference might have been, I should say. I've never, I mean, sure, I've, I've enjoyed the idea of being sexualized or in service. And that's happened to me a couple of times. There were a few times when, when I, uh, I learned very early on not to push my own desires on to the person I was trying to play with right Hmm. because that was an easy way to not play with the person a second time or well I've got a lot of pro-dom friends and they'll always or even just non-pro-dom my female dominant friends they will hear a lot they'll hear um, the the submissive with a slave kind of pushing their own kink into the thing like yeah sure I'd love to clean clean for you Um, so maybe I can mm -hmm, you know wear whatever or maybe you know you'll you'll beat me if I do make a mistake or you know or something like that pushing their own so I've, I learned very early on not to not to do that um, and so sometimes I would show up and it was it was very clear that the person thought that they had to act a certain way in order to get me to clean ah okay so they uh, the one person I cleaned for her a few times or whatever and she was like uh, she, you could tell as soon as we, I started working that she, her persona just completely changed. It went from this very nice, bubbly person to what she was acting, what she thought I needed in order to clean for her, right? Mm. And we emailed afterwards and I said, um, you know, you don't, just don't do anything on my account. You know, if you just want to sit there and watch TV or read or whatever, you don't have to interact with me at all. If, if that's if you don't want to right? right she was like really oh that's great she was like because mm. I've had so many guys come over and they want this or whatever and they make me they could perfectly make a mistake or something like that just while you know punish them in quotes um, and then other times I would show up and they would say listen there's not gonna be any sex so get that out of your head right now I'm like okay fine and I was like that's good I'm not physically attracted to that person anyway but I didn't say that to him and then I'd show up and they would be like strip and start cleaning and I'd start cleaning and actually you know they want sex I'm like holy wait a minute hold on this is not what this is not what you said it was gonna be so I always made sure after a few circumstances to to always lay out very clearly okay let's talk exactly how this is gonna go down because Mm. I don't want you to think I'm expecting anything and I don't want you to you know I don't want you to think that I'm gonna push myself on you or and also I don't I also want to know what you expect from this because I don't like to be surprised, you know, uh, unless we've agreed that I like surprises or something. Um, it's just like anything. I've, I've talked to uh, a 
a female friend who she loves doing service, mm-hmm. but it was really hard. She only wanted to do service, and she could not find a male dominant. And I don't, I haven't talked to her in a few years, but she would, she would go to serve a, a male dominant. She didn't want sex or anything like that. She was married, and they had agreed that this was something that she had to do, and her husband wasn't into it. And she could not find a single guy to just explore just the DS aspect and the cleaning and the service mm. and or whatever. Uh, it was always, you're going to wear a schoolgirl outfit or you're going to wear, wear a maid's outfit, which she could do, but then it would always kind of escalate from there, even though she had said many, many times. So she, she was really frustrated by that. But um, Yeah, I, I mean, as far as, as far as, you know, pushing my own needs on someone else, that was, I learned that pretty quickly that you don't get past a few emails if you if you do that, you know. Which when you're first starting, I think is natural to do, right? Yeah. You know. Well, we're also told in, you know, I think to screw the roses, SM101, all this is where it's like, you know, make sure in your negotiation to lie out lay out every single piece of what you want to do and put it all on the table to make sure you're compatible. Right. And I, I wonder sometimes with um, submission or with service whether that style of negotiation serves everyone involved and I'm not sure I mean if you're if you're a guy and if you're really into service and if your big thing is you want to be naked and you want to kneel whenever she walks in the room or he walks in the room mm-hmm. or whatever and you you that's what really turns you on uh, and if there's all these different things heavy protocol and all that stuff you're not going to do a lot of service Unless you lay it out for the, you know, on if you make a mm. if you make a profile that says it. If someone says, "Hey, I'm into service," and then you lay all that out, one of those things is probably going to turn them off. Okay. So, what I found was to kind of just go with whatever the person, the person, unless they're into something you're completely not into. Sometimes I would do service for someone, and they wanted me completely clothed. Sometimes they wanted me completely naked. Sometimes they wanted me wearing, you know, underwear. I mean, whatever. I would just I was I sort of I was like sort of like a kink camel. I would get whatever, take whatever I could get and and live on it, right? Because, right. because that was fine. That was fine. And and you know, 5% is better than 0 or 10 is better than 0 or whatever. Uh and I still had a lot of fun doing that. Were they the most erotic experiences of my Some of them were fairly erotic. Most of them weren't, you know. Mm-hmm. Um In fact, I think maybe that's why Saad and I clicked so much is because our relationship started out as just service and it just kind of went exactly the way I'd always fantasized it would go, mm. right? And uh, I was like, holy crap, this actually does happen, you know? Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely, I, I think when it comes to negotiating, they always say the submissive has all the power. Nah, I think maybe once they once you start the actual play, but beforehand, if you're a male submissive and it's a female dominant, you're not going to even meet the person if you're, you know, uh, if if you're projecting something that is totally turning off, you know, turn off. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't say, no, I'm t- I'm totally, you know, I'm totally into needle play, and you're deathly afraid of needles. Obviously, you shouldn't do that. But you know, there's a difference. Yeah. Well, one of, the, one of the things that I think contributes to that, that I heard you say, and please correct me if I, I misheard, but that the women you were coming over and serving flat out said, you know, guys have shown up before and, and, you know, 
I wasn't looking for sex and they thought it was, yeah. or I was thinking they were going to come over and clean and suddenly I had to watch over them and quote, see if I have to punish right, them right. and all that, you know, as if, as if you should spend just as much time watching somebody else clean your tub as you could have just cleaned the tub yourself exactly. and go finished it. You know? Exactly. Go finish watching your episode of West Wing. Because people, different people, I'm sorry. No, 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 that's, that's what I got. Go for it. No, people, different people, and just like different people is coming from a, the bottom or the submissive side, different submissives enjoy different aspects of service. Different dominants enjoy different aspects of it as well. Some dominants really enjoy knowing that they're doing something while the slave is doing their own thing in a completely mm-hmm. different room. Other people just really get off on watching someone scrub their tub or whatever. Or just the idea of being served in that way and whatever it is. So the key is to, you know, is to try to identify, you know, both people have to kind of identify what it is they enjoy about it. And it took me a long time to really identify what it is I, I enjoyed about it. Hmm. And, um, uh, it still kind of confuses me because I don't really, I don't like cleaning, you know. I mean, I before I, when I was just a single guy, I had the, the messiest apartment in the universe because I just didn't care, right? Um, and I'm not the best when it comes to attention to detail, you know. But there are some things I do very well and uh, I just don't do them well for myself, I guess. So, you know. Uh, it, it's really it's a really confusing thing if, if it's something so vague you, you know why you enjoy a blowjob or you know why you enjoy a spanking because there's a physical there's a reaction to it right mm. with something that's spiritual like like service or emotional or mental mm-hmm. it's so hard to pin that down you know it's really hard to pin that down do you have any sort of you know, like bodily reaction afterwards, like or like a, or an, or like a you feel better after? Like what what happens? You know, you're talking before about you know you like a blowjob because it feels physically good, or you have that ejaculatory release, or whatever it might be that you enjoy in that moment. Maybe it's looking down and seeing your partner really getting into it, or looking down and seeing your partner threatening you in some yeah. way, shape, or form. Um, is there something that happens either during or immediately after? I think it, it's depended on who I was serving at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was doing service for that couple, I remember walking away and it was it felt like all week long I had been holding my breath. And then that period when I was doing service, I was actually breathing because mm-hmm. uh, my because I was not I didn't have the, all the weight of the world on my shoulders or whatever. Um, and so it was just almost like, or maybe carrying a big heavy bag of potatoes or something like that and you finally let it let it go and then there's this kind of euphoria that waves over your body just being like oh god that was so heavy I'm so glad I'm not carrying that now and I remember like walking brisker after like leaving their apartment and walking a lot more you know faster and just Mm -hmm. really in you know and having such a good night's sleep that night because it was just a release right um you know, whereas some other people I've done service for, it was very anxiety. I mean, it brings me a lot of anxiety into me because I was worried the whole time. Am I doing this right? When I first started serving sod, it was kind of like that. I was like, oh my God, I really don't want to screw this up. I really, I was like, like really, you know. And uh, and she, uh, she will admit that she did a very good job of keeping me nervous on purpose, right? <laughs> I think... You know, maybe if she knew me, I mean, now she probably wouldn't do the same thing because she knows how anxious I get when I like that. I was so nervous when she would kind of like 
toy with me a little bit mm -hmm. that, that way. Uh, but it was her way to sort of transition over into play a little bit, you know. But it was really, you know, I was very anxious when I first started because I thought, oh God, if you screw up, you know, if you screw up, you miss a spot, that's it. She's never going to talk to you again, you know. Uh, thankfully, that wasn't the case. I'm sure I missed plenty of spots, but she, she still uh, kept me, so that's good. <laughs> that's beautiful. So if you were to give one piece of advice, or three, you can go over one, it's Ooh, okay, good. Um, to a male submissive who is listening uh, on the other end of this podcast, and potentially early on in this journey, or making a transition into this role, pieces that you would have them sit with or think about? Uh, God, it's just so, there's so many, there's so many things, and there's a billion wrong ways to do it, and there's a billion <laughs> right ways to do it. Because it's so dependent on the, the now. If you're just looking for play, mm -hmm. the best thing you can possibly do is not be like everyone else. Hmm. If if there's a profile on FetLife or something or you know or wherever, maybe it's fill in the blank personal site. Um, don't mention how dominant she is. Don't you know? Don't say don't say hi, mistress or whatever. Just be your. I know I hate saying this phrase. Be yourself as much mm. as you can. You're extremely nervous. They get you know a thousand emails a second, so it's so easy for them to completely blow over it. You know, um, you know. I, I I I found I started playing a lot more when I started caring less. When I when I started when I stopped feeling like this is it. You know. There was a period when I was spending four hours every single night on some dating sites just to try to, I would send, you know, 50 emails a night, right? They were all personalized. I was doing copy and paste. Never doing copy and paste email, you know. Uh, but it was just total desperation. And I felt like, oh my God, I'm never going to play again. And uh, I found, especially if you can go out in the local kink scene and just be a regular, chill person, uh, you'll get a lot more attention that way because you're not being that needy, uh, desperate person. If mm. I had met Sod a year earlier, we probably wouldn't be together because I was so much more needy and I was so much more, way too over eager to mm. just be myself. Uh, I'm very glad that we met when we did. So, is that three? Be yourself. Don't copy and paste emails. Uh, don't be like everyone else. Uh, and you know, try to try to you know make yourself look like someone who they would at least want to hang out with as a friend, I guess as you could say, you know, or be rich. One of those things. <laughs> you can be rich and ignore all that. I'm not rich, I would say. Should say so. Clearly. Well, I would argue that you are rich of spirit and friends, and you know what? That's true. Sometimes that's a winner over other you know other situations. <laughs> this so. is true. This is true. Yeah. I actually had someone email me asking me like, "How did you? How did you meet Saad? How did that happen? How did you, how did you possibly get her? How did I'm like? I have no idea. I have no idea. She would say leather pants, but that's what she always said. That's her blanket answer. Just leather pants. <laughs> um, but I have no idea. Because uh, some people have asked, "How wealthy are you? What do you do? Are you like a you work on Wall Street or something?" I'm like, no, are you kidding me? I'm paycheck to paycheck. Get out now. Uh, yeah, I'm just as, I'm just as surprised as you are. That's not what I usually say. Yeah. yeah, but sometimes the surprises in life they are the gifts that we get. Absolutely. 
So if people were wanting to hear more from you, learn more about your life, and talk to all the amazing people that you are the guru or deal master oh, for. Oh <laughs> well, I've been podcasting for about four years on Massacast.com, M-A-S-O-C-A-S-T.com. I've been blogging uh, about, well, you can see early on my search and all my horrible failures of trying to meet a dominant woman. <laughs> Been doing that since like 2005 or four or something like that at uh, Unspeakable Acts, A X E, Unspeakable Acts, one word, dot com. So. Wonderful. And you've got a lot of great stuff on there to explore. So I hope folks at home will, you know, go and check all that stuff out. So thank you so much for joining us on Erotic Awakening. Thank you. If you're listening at home and have any questions for Axe or myself, or any questions in general around sexuality, spirituality, kink, gender, connection, authenticity, or really anything else, uh, feel free to send your questions to Lee, L-E-E, at passionandsoul.com with the subject line, Ask Lee. Questions will be looked up ahead of time or either recorded to on the podcast or responded to on my website in my blog. So feel free to reach out. If you're interested in finding me anywhere on the internet, you could do so by looking for Lee Harrington or looking up passion and soul as one word, whether it's on FetLife.com, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, pretty much anywhere. If it you type in Lee Harrington, you will know that I am not a 60-year-old judge, nor am I a lovely young woman who writes uh, books on dog walking, but uh, the rest of the stuff is usually me. And... Thank you so much, fellow adventurers of sexuality and spirit, for joining us. This has been Erotic Awakening with Lee Harrington and with... Unspeakable X. And until next time, stay cool, have fun, be authentically yourself, and have a fantastic journey.